0: Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged, too, and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.
1: Welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's Children. I'm Matt Gillard, your host and the President and CEO of Michigan's Children. We're recording this episode on March 17th, 2022. Today's podcast deals with an important subject tied to improving investments in the lives of Michigan's young people, kids, and families, the fiscal year 2023 state budget. As we speak, the governor and legislative leaders are working on new tax policies that will change state budget revenues for years to come, significantly impacting how state services for families and individuals are funded. The momentum for tax reform this year has grown since the state is sitting on about a $7 billion surplus, which was largely established through federal relief funds as a result of the COVID pandemic, but also as a result of some increased state revenues. One of the plans that we at Michigan's Children and a real broad coalition of, of other organizations and groups support and assert really makes the right choice when we're talking about tax reform. And the smart choice is increasing the earned income tax credit, which is really a pro-work, pro-family tax measure that will help bring more families out of poverty and into improved prosperity for themselves and really for Michigan as a whole. Uh, But there are a number of other tax reform proposals out there as well, uh, initiated some by the legislature, some even being talked about by the governor on her own. And so really, uh, there's a lot of discussion and and stuff happening around tax reform and tax policy out there right now. And so what we're hoping today is to kind of sort through some of that and give you some of the information that you as child advocates need to know as this really becomes a dominant topic in in our politics and in our state legislature. Uh, here in the next few months. So here today to help us sort all that out and what we need to know about these tax plans and their impl- implications is someone who, who knows a great deal about this stuff uh, and has been involved in, in a lot of these discussions and in, in battles for years. And this former state treasurer, Nick Corey. Nick, welcome to Speaking for Kids.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
1: So Nick was appointed state treasurer by former Governor Rick Snyder in 2015, and served uh, through 2018 in that position. Uh, and he's also done a number of other uh, uh, economic advisor roles. Uh, most recently, I think for for Mayor Duggan in Detroit, right? Right, Nick.
2: That's right.
1: All right. Well, as I kind of stated in the in the intro, you know, tax reform, tax policy is is all the rage. And certainly as a former politician myself, I understand the, the, uh, the, the benefits or the, the appeal of talking about tax reductions or tax reforms or cutting people's taxes, particularly in an election year. Um, but we obviously have some real concerns about a number of these prob- proposals and the impacts that they would have on you know our state revenues moving forward our state budget i served in the legislature back from 02 to 08 where we had billion dollar deficits seemingly every year and i think in large part due to a, you know a, a tax plan that was implemented before i got to the legislature by the previous legislature that is very similar to what's being discussed in the legislature right now, rolling back uh, both corporate taxes and the state income tax to levels that did not allow the state to consistently generate enough revenue. So why don't you give us from your perspective and Ryan, maybe from a state treasurer's perspective, kind of a, an overview of tax policy in general and how the state should look at at their taxes and tax revenues.
2: Sure, we have to Matt, and again, thank you for having me today. Uh, before we get into the specifics of the proposals, I do think it's important to have just a little bit of a background. First, uh, just kind of start with the current situation. You talked about it briefly. Uh, I've been following uh, fiscal policy, spending, and tax policy in Lansing for many decades, and I've never seen anything like this. Where at the start of the pandemic, we were looking. There was a consensus that we were looking at unprecedented deficits. Both at state and local level, in a short 12 months, that went from unprecedented deficits to unprecedented, unprecedented uh, surpluses, and uh, it's due to both uh, the economy rebounding much quicker than we thought, much more federal aid. Uh, so these depth, these surpluses, you know, there are two main funds uh, in, in Lansing. There's the general fund, which is about 10 billion dollars. Uh, most people think that right now there's about a, a $4 billion, dollars to $4 billion surplus in the general fund, and then the second major fund, the school aid fund. And again, I, people are looking at maybe a $3 billion deficit. So in total between the two major, major funds, they, they total about $22 billion, of which people are looking at about a $7 billion deficit, a uh, surplus this year. I'm sorry. a really unprecedented, and I can't remember any uh, time in my history where we've had this much excess money. The second point, before we get into the specifics, is just some general rules of thumb principles as we think about tax policy. Uh, And this really applies year in and year out. And there's just two or three that I think are important for your listeners. First, some of this comes down to simple math. We have a constitutional amendment to balance the budget. So any proposal to increase spending or decrease taxes should be matched with the uh, flip side of the coin. You know, if you're going to decrease taxes, where are other taxes going to increase? So where spending is going to uh, be reduced? And so for me, the right question has never been should taxes be higher or lower? The right question is what's the combination of policies on both the tax and spend side that lead to higher living standards for all Michiganians? So that's the first point. The second point is what you talked about, Matt, is we have a tendency in Lansing, but really, uh, in most large organizations do kind of feast or famine budget, uh, kind of the yo-yo approach where in good times, taxes are cut, spending are increased. Spending increases dramatically. And then we hit rough times, whether the economy turns or something else happens. And then we increase taxes and slash spending. So really the idea for sound fiscal policy is to more stabilize those ups and downs. So then the third general point I would say is that When we talk about today's proposals, we have to keep in mind both the long-term implications and the secondary implications of those proposals, especially in election year, people get wrapped up into what's the impact today, what's the impact tomorrow, but really to put this budget on a sound basis, we need to look at the next five years or the next 10 years, and what do our actions today have to do? uh, What's the impact on the long-term budget? uh, And then also, of course, the secondary impacts, because anything you change, uh, in addition to the direct changes are all the secondary changes. And how do we measure those? So you know, if you keep those three rules in mind, the question is, well, what do we do? We have this large surpluses now, and this is where the debate has been centered. And so what combination of policies, I think, meet two standards? One, it's sustainable, and two, really leads to the best outcome for all 10 million Michiganians. So there is... Um, two proposals, are, there are many proposals, but I'm going to bucket them in two proposals. a so legislative pass proposal, and then the governor's budget proposal for taxes. And one more thing, and then I'm, uh, just one more way of background. As you think about tax policy, you know there are many, many taxes in the state, both revenues and taxes, but really state and local governments in, in Michigan rely on the big three. 85% of our tax base comes from the personal income tax, which is about ten and a half billion dollars, which is mostly for the general fund. Uh, the sales and use tax, which is about ten billion, just short of ten billion dollars, and that's mostly for schools. And then the property tax, which is fourteen billion dollars for local governments. The moral of the story is, we really have a three-legged stool for our taxes in Michigan, so we better be really careful if we start to address one of those legs. You know, we don't. There's not this broad, diverse revenue source. So what are, the, what are the proposals out there? Well, briefly, well, well, let me add one more thing, Matt, that, you know, I'm no longer part of the fray. So the depth of my analysis is not much more than newspaper headlines. So i warn warned you and your listeners that, um, you know, take that as a caveat as I go into this discussion. But there are two general proposals. One is been passed by the legislature, Senate Bill 768, and it has three components take the income tax, the state income tax, which is 4.25%, take it down to 3.9%. Uh, the second component is a non-refundable, it's a pretty important word, non-refundable child care credit of $500. And then the third is exempt pensions from the income tax for those over 62. It costs probably about 1.2 billion this year, but then rises to 2.6, 2.5, 2.6 billion each year thereafter. So that reduces revenue significantly. But to think about it as $2.5 billion on a $10 billion general fund and a $10 billion, $12 billion school labor fund. Uh, this uh, Citizens Research Council on the board member, they've been around for a long time. They estimate that under this legislative proposal, the budget is balanced in this year, 22, and balanced in 23 because of these large surpluses. But then starting around 2024 would lead to this legislative tax proposal would lead to about a billion dollar deficit. Now, you got to be careful of the word deficit because it doesn't really mean deficit. It means there will be a deficit unless other spending is cut or other taxes are raised. But given current projections of spending and current revenues minus the legislative tax proposal without other action, it looks from the Citizens Research Council's perspective about a billion dollar deficit. That's bucket one. Bucket two is the governor's tax proposal as part of her uh, 2023 budget. She has two pieces. One is pension exemption, it phases in longer, but again, uh, ends up exempting pension income from the state income tax, and then an increase in the earned income tax credit. Um, So, those two pieces, you know, again, the the legislative proposal is about $2.5 billion reduction the governor's proposal all phased in by 2025 is about 700, 750 million. So that's about the magnitude, about a third of the legislative tax cuts. So those are the two proposals. Uh, you know, Absolutely. What do I think? Uh, this is the, where you get free advice or free opinions. <laughs> uh, you know, normally from tax policy, it is a uh, broad-based low rate, you know, that you can't go wrong with fewer exemptions, and just a lower rate that applies equally. But I don't think these are usual times. And I don't think that prescription applies now, mostly because you know, we've had this hollowing out of middle class over the last couple of decades, where middle class jobs have really been declining, And what's led to this rising inequality in the entire nation, but also in the state, uh, and especially among Black and brown households. Um, and there's many ways of, of measuring it, and you know there's United Ways concept of ballast and all these kind of things. But most important, I think everyone recognizes this growing inequality in the hollowing out of the middle class. So I really think right now what we need is more targeted relief. And I think the Earned Income Tax Credit is is really should be on the forefront of people's policy options. I think it passes all the tests for tax policy of being fair, efficient, and simple. So basically what the EITC does is this says, if you're a working family and you're relatively low income, averages like $20,000 household income on average, although it can go up to 50,000, then you just get a, you get a refundable credit. So even if you don't have any tax liability, which many low income families don't, you get the credit. And, uh, and it's a federal credit that most states piggyback on. So what we say in Michigan is whatever your federal credit is, you get a percentage of it here in, in your state as a refundable credit, regardless of whether you have a, a tax liability or not. It's tied to work, so it's an incentive for families to re-enter the labor market. But most importantly, it targeted those families most in need. And it's really simple because you know it's the all you do is take your federal credit and you multiply it by some number. Now people are talking about what that number is. Right now it's 6% of the federal credit. The governor's proposed 20. Senator Schmidt has a bill 417 that takes it up to 30. Uh, there's no magic number, but clearly the bigger the better.
1: Yeah, we've we've even met with legislators recently who are talking even higher than 30 as an ultimate goal and obviously something that we support of. So so let's talk a little let's let's hone in a little bit more. I mean you you kind of hinted around the idea of equity, right? And I mean, that's a big issue for us. Um, And that is where we see the real benefits of the earned income tax credit in comparison to these other proposals. One of our advocacy partners, uh, the Michigan League for Public Policy, has a great graphic out right now that shows under the legislative pass proposal, which is the flat reduction to 3.9%, that a low-income family would save about $12 a year, enough to buy a pizza, right? And a middle-income family would, would save about maybe 80 to a hundred dollars a year enough to have a pizza party, whereas a high income earning family or or individual would save enough to actually fly to Italy where pizza was invented and and have a vacation over, over $4,000 or or what, I can't remember what the exact figure is, but, but I mean that it's, you know, it's a fun way to unfortunately address a not too funny topic, but the equity issue that you know unfortunately we see really at the heart of a lot of these tax proposals. And whereas, as you stated, the EITC is really the truly the the only plan that's out there right now and the best way really to address tax reform in an equitable manner. And and also, and I you know I've heard I've heard Lou Glazer and others make this point really well, that it also has the secondary effect of really benefiting the economy because the, the, the dollars that, that are really given back to, I mean, if, if the idea of tax reform is giving dollars back to the citizens. Then if we can make sure that those citizens are spending those dollars in our economy locally, that's an added benefit to us as a state in a number of ways as well.
2: Absolutely, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right that it has that advantage too. Uh not, you know, I would say just backing off, there's been this long running debate between if you cut the rate, every, every family gets the same percentage decline. But obviously, if you're making a lot more money, your dollar amount is much more. So it's some people on some some people on, on the other side of the aisle say, you know, we should have the same percentage for everybody. People on the other side of the aisle say, no, we should target dollars to those most in need. And again, I think there's a long running debate and it depends. But I think given the current situation we are now with this rising inequality and these growing number of struggling families in Michigan, I think now, today, we need to focus the relief on those most in need and not across the board. I think, you know, just throw it in too, uh, since I got the microphone, I think this pension exemption is a huge mistake. I think, you know, I call it recreating the pension loophole. I don't mind targeting pension relief to those most in need, but why I, you know, with my income, why I need to exempt my pensions from the income tax instead of providing direct relief to those making, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year? I, I don't understand the equity of that. So, I, I'm not a fan of the uh, the pension exemption that uh, seems to be gathering a lot of steam in, in Lansing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've actually been stealing your line on recreating the, the pension tax loophole. I mean, obviously from, from, you know, Michigan's Children is the name of our organization. Our interest is is what's best for kids. And and mm-hmm. we can certainly point to the EITC and show the real data and the benefits to families and families with young children that, that have expenses that are skyrocketing around childcare and transportation and other things. And, and we know that and that the, the real benefits of, the EITC and particularly when we can get to a percentage that's, you know, the higher the percentage, especially we can show real, real benefits to, to working families. But, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, the pension tax proposal that the governor really opened the door on and really is led on um is, is not that. And and mm-hmm. it's geared towards, you know, supporting families with kids. And it's, you know, I mean, we, we were, um, We were supportive uh, back even under the Snyder administration when they closed the pension tax loophole Mm -hmm. for those same reasons, is that we knew at that time we needed the, the revenue for the state to be able to invest in the programs and supports and services for a lot of these families and young people. And, and yeah, I would make the argument that, you know, often on deaf ears with legislators who, who are seem to be very, very concerned and understandably so about what the old people in their district think because they're yeah. voting. But the old people have all the money, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> I used to argue with Coleman Young, who's a good friend of mine. I was in the Senate all the time then. I'd be like, Coleman, we got to tax the old people. They got all the money. Where else are we going to get the money? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the last I saw, I think we were one of only, at that time, we were one of only 14 states that we're not taxing pension as income. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that number has changed, but it's not, I mean, the vast majority of states uh, do, you know, as we're doing now, tax pension income as regular income in some
2: way, shape or form. And so we- ins- yeah, You know, I think what it points out, Matt, is that we both have a lot of years under our belts because yeah. <laughs> some of these arguments, like should we tax senior income or not? It, it's been around for 40 years or so in the state of Michigan. Uh, Same with how do you provide relief? Should it be across the board as a percentage or across the board as dollars? And then this other question of, uh, you know, the fundamental question that I keep getting back to, it's not tax policy. It's tax and spending policy because you have to do both. The You know, I've said over and over again for many, many years, I've always thought the appropriate tax policy is zero, right? We raise taxes because they're public needs on the spending side that we need to do. So as you're thinking about reducing these taxes, you need to think about what is the constraint on future spending. And some people will, then it becomes a value judgment because some people will say, yes, I don't mind cutting another billion dollars from spending, but other people, and I tend to be now in the camp of, uh, you know, we can't, we need to make investments in, in for all kinds of reasons for economic development and education and other ways. So you have to be really careful as you're thinking about these tax cuts. Are they affordable? And, you know, the other thing is everything's affordable. You know, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. You know, it's a, if it's $500 million, we have a $7 billion surplus. If it's a billion dollars, we have a $7 billion surplus. But that surplus will go away in a few years as the economy turns and the federal dollars dry up. So, what's going to be the shape of the budget then under these tax and spending proposals? And that's, I think, what we need to focus on. What happens in four or five years, or five and 10 years?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, that's fundamentally our concern. And, you know, I mean, we have child outcome data that's horrific. You know, we're graduating less than 40% of kids in foster care from from high school. You know, we have child poverty rates that are that are through the roof in the in certain areas, black and brown communities in Detroit, in other right. areas. And so, you know, we liked the framing of the governor's budget proposal around this notion that we've underinvested in a lot of these areas for years. And now's the opportunity to kind of correct that course and to get back into. To where we need to be uh we think she missed the boat on some of the priorities on where the, you know some of that investment should be directed but but that's because there's so many areas that we've under invested in in terms of kids and families in particular so this notion of that now that we have this surplus we should be racing and it's i mean it's taken over basically all work on the budget right now is is almost frozen you know at the legislative level because as you said i mean and they you know obviously they recognize that the taxing and spending has to be negotiated together and so until there's some agreement on what form of tax relief or tax reform tax policy changes are going to take effect they can't get to the budget discussions for even right. for fy 23 and then as you said our concerns are even beyond into the future i mean the reality is with seven billion dollars they've got enough to do it all right now right they can do big mm-hmm. tech and still invest in a lot of the programs that, that a lot of the advocates are fighting for. But that's not going to be the case next year, the year after, and certainly years that's to come harsh. down the road if if they get the tax reform side wrong and if they, you know, they sell the farm here uh, in yes. in this scenario. And so that's really what we're trying to get people to understand. Um, and it's a difficult, you know, I understand the politics of it. It's an election year and, and yeah. it's brought political environment, certainly for incumbents across the political spectrum. And so this is a real, uh, real situation that these folks find themselves in. But, but I think that it behooves all of us to make sure that they are thinking long term about this, um, and not just racing for the for the politically
2: expedient
1: solution right now.
2: I agree. I agree. You know, one way to look at it, Matt, is we have this, as I said, unprecedented surplus right now. So it's a one time. And by the way, local governments are. are have the same opportunities because they have large surpluses. But it's just view it as one time, it's a couple of years, but view it as one time. This is a once in a generation opportunity to invest both uh, to get the tax system right, but also to invest in the right spots. So this isn't gonna come around again in our lifetime. We better use this moment correctly and we better make the right decisions now because it's gonna impact uh, Michiganians for generation to come in the decisions we make now in the next 12 to 24 months.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nick. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your insights. We hope this was a valuable conversation for for our listeners. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in and stay tuned for other podcasts. We hope to continue to bring you these on a monthly basis around topics and issues that are important to kids, families uh, and kids and families here in Michigan. Thanks and have a good day.
0: You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.Michigan'sChildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our Resource tab and Action Alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change.